The holidays were fun, but left only the void. But left only the void, and the waiting, and the falling, and falling, and the waiting again, and falling, and even more falling, and even more falling, as the void threatens to encompass until, until. Oh, it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ballgame. Twitchy Dolphin Media presents Let's Get Two. It's baseball from sea to shining sea by the team that brings you home. And now, your host, James Christopher. Beat the drum and hold the phone. The sun came out today. We're born again and there's new grass on the field. We couldn't have said it better ourselves, John Fogarty. Baseball is, in fact, back. And that means welcome to the Season 5 premiere of Let's Get Two. We're back with a brand new, fresh look for the 23 season. I'm your host, James Christopher, and I can't be more excited to be back doing this show and have those of you who have followed us from Episode 1 to the Season 4 finale back for another journey. And for those of you who are new, you might be asking yourselves, what is this? You might be wondering, what is this let's get to thing? You might also be thinking to yourselves, oh, great, here's another baseball podcast. And that's, well, fair. Let's get two strives to be much more than just your average baseball podcast. We try to differentiate ourselves from other shows by challenging ourselves to cover the game cover the sport differently. We continue to raise our production values, and we try to create something different in this very competitive space. And look, we love baseball podcasts. Some of our favorite creators in the indie baseball podcast are also some of our best friends, and we do our best to support them whenever we can. But we don't see our show as simply a podcast, for as much as there is an audio-only version. We're a web series, a travel show, and we're going to be doing our best to bring you the content on many new platforms, not just YouTube or through podcast apps. Now, much like our approach to independent film, just because you can technically create a movie or a show or a podcast with your phone doesn't mean you should. We wouldn't be doing this if we were doing the same old thing, and we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have you, listeners, viewers, following our show. So what are we? We're essentially a travel show with a focus on minor league baseball. Now, in the episodes before and after the season actually begins, we'll bring you teams and stories from around the world of affiliated, independent, and collegiate summer league baseball. Our show's strength is the people behind the show. From our creative director, Jessica Bybee-Jedgetts, also known as the first lady of minor league baseball, our executive producers, Andy Tom Chesson and Scott McIntyre, our producers, Andrew Nelson, and the world-famous Eric the Peanut Guy Mertens. Our associate producers, Timothy Judgetts and Jess Canaster. And some of our favorite contributors like Jordan Metcalf, Paul Caputo, Emily Nyman, and Gary C. Warren. The talent alone making this show is worth your time. Now, once the first pitch is tossed, we'll hit the road. And this year, we're going all over North America, from Alaska to Cancun, 
bringing you the greatest game ever invented, viewed in a slightly different way. Some highlights include our fifth birthday party in Omaha, Nebraska with the Storm Chasers, to finally getting out to the Erie Seawolves. We've basically been online dating with them for so long that I'm actually a little nervous, Uh, but it should be fun. We can't wait. For the 19 episodes that involve a team visit, we're going to bring you a thoughtful, well-produced, positive baseball experience, shining a light on all aspects of the game. So sit back and enjoy the ride. We have a terrific season ahead of you, and that begins with our episode today. We're talking to Dan Simon, creator of some of the most iconic brands in the sport, and then we're going beneath the foam and learning all about that mascot life, so stay with us. Ladies and gentlemen, please adjust your scorecards. We have a special guest in the lineup. And we're very excited to welcome to Let's Get To, Dan Simon of Studio Simon. Dan, first of all, I'm excited to have you on for two reasons. Um, One, you're recommended by Paul Caputo, who's a mutual friend. And anytime good people recommend good people, I think good things happen. And I am just an obsessed fan of minor league baseball. And so many of your designs are some of my favorites. So excuse me while I gush and thank you for being on the show. Well, gush away. Thank you very much for that. Uh, all of those very kind words. And I'm excited to be on your podcast with you. So, um, well, your podcast and YouTube, right? So yeah, we're a web series and we're going to be on Amazon soon, but all that's still getting kind of put together. But um, yeah, we are we are a little bit all over the place in a good way, although I'm sometimes all over the place in a bad way, too. Um Let's dive into it then. How do you become a kid who I'm assuming you liked art growing up and you thought to yourself, I want to get into graphic design. I want to get into branding. And how do you make that jump? Uh, Now, when you say graphic design and branding, are you yet asking about sports branding or are you just asking? Just in general, just how did you decide like you wanted to go down that path in the first place? Um, It was because of Thurman Munson. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I know that that then leads to some silence because it's like, how could that possibly right? How could that possibly how, how could be? He be responsible for this? But um, unfortunately, he, he, well, here's here's the story, and I'll try to give the the elevator pitch version of it because it's a little longer than this. I was um, I was uh, how old would I have been? Seventeen years old, and I was. This would have been August of 1979. So I've just, if anyone wants to do the math, you know how old I am. And I was, uh, for those, for 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 your viewers who may not know who Thurman Munson was, Thurman Munson was one of the best catchers in the game from 1970 until 1979. He unfortunately died in a plane crash of a small prop plane he was piloting. Oh. Um, and that happened in the summer of the 79 season. And I was sitting at, um, I was in, in our family room at my house in Wayne, New Jersey. And Thurman had just died and I had, I had cut out pictures and headlines and things like that from the newspaper 
the, the New York Times, the New York Post, the Daily News. My dad would bring home the, we lived in New Jersey. He worked in New York. He'd bring home those papers. We got the New York Times delivered. And I had a piece of poster board in front of me. And I was arranging all of these things. Um, I was making a poster memorializing the our beloved Yankee catcher and captain who who had um, had just died in this plane crash. And while I was doing this, I was talking with my mom. And I was a, a senior in, in, actually I had just graduated from high school. And I knew I was going to college, but I had no idea of what I wanted to be. And I was talking to my mom about the fact that I, I don't know what I want to do. And she asked me a question that frankly, no one had ever asked me before. Or okay. nobody, nobody who could potentially guide me somewhere had ever asked me. She said, what do you like to do? And I thought about that for a second. I looked down at what I was doing and I said, uh, I like doing this. And she said, well, that's graphic design. Now I'd heard of graphic design, but I never really thought about it, really didn't know exactly what it was, but I guess, uh, well, my mom was, my mom was uh, a little more cultured than I was. She liked to go to museums. She liked to go to the opera and the ballet. She liked to go to museums. She understood what art was. Uh, she also was an editor for a magazine. So I guess she understood mm. moving things around on a page. And that's, that's one of the, disciplines of graphic design. So that's that's what first uh that's when I first was made aware of this as something that was a potential job for me. Um I did not immediately go to school for graphic design. I had already been uh, I had already decided I was going to Rutgers, which is the state school of New Jersey, the only state school that's not named after the state little trivia there for you. That actually and, is interesting. I did not know that. All yeah, right. And I, I once got that question in playing uh trivial pursuit. And I, oh, wow. And I yeah. I, I knew it right away, but anyway, <laughs> I, I went to school. Uh, I went there and after a year and a half of going there, um, I didn't feel like I was, it was leading me towards some, some end. And Speaking of my mom again, so this is after a year and a half, I'm home for Christmas break and I'm sitting in the kitchen and I just said to her, I hadn't really thought this out, but I said, I'm not going back. And she said, that's okay. You don't need to go back, but you have to do something. Mm. I had not thought, I had not thought that <laughs> far. So you know, Dan, uh, I had a similar situation. I ended up in the army. I'm glad you ended up doing this. So there you go. Yeah. Two different outcomes to, to, to this little, um, um, uh, conundrum of what to now do. And I had to think fast. And I, so I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'll go to art school. And I applied to the school of visual arts in New York city. I went there and that was the beginning of my design career. So kind of, I, I said, it was the elevator pitch a little bit of a long, longer answer, but um, it, it, it was not, well thought out it just all happened and thank goodness my mother was there to prompt me my my other business dan is independent film it's actually where i make the majority of my money and so i appreciate a good elevator fit pitch whether it's really an elevator or not um one of the reasons why i think you're well one of the reasons you're on the show and i think 
you're a really big part of, I think, changing my life indirectly because um, I'm born and raised in Houston, Texas, an Astros fan. I kind of knew minor league baseball was a thing. And then I discovered it in part because I feel like we're in the middle of a revolution when it comes to team branding and team identities. So just how did you end up getting involved in that part of the business? I mean, I know you also did Super Bowl stuff, which, you know, it's you've just done everything. How did you settle or not settle, but how did you get involved working in minor league baseball? Well, I was, I was, you know, it, it was, even though what you just said about us being in the middle of a revolution with regard to minor league baseball branding, um, this thing started about, let's see, my mom was still alive. So 20 or so years ago. The revolution hadn't quite started, but the seeds were planted for it. I I got this catalog delivered to me called Starstruck. I don't think it's something that's around anymore because I don't even I don't even I, I don't think catalogs are as big of a thing as they were in those pre-internet days, because now mm-hmm. you the internet is the catalog. <laughs> right. Everything. So um and in this catalog, they had minor league baseball caps and I remember two in particular, the Billings Mustangs and the Madison Muskies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had quirky logos on them. Nothing like the logos you see in Major League Baseball. And I remember thinking, hey, this is fun. This is, I want to be part of this fun. And uh, through a uh, a whole nother story, which I'd be happy to tell you about, but it's, um, uh, it's again, well, let, let's tell this story. Go for it. This is my, your, this is your time. My parents were at a wedding and a wedding reception. And my dad was sitting next to a gentleman who he, you're sitting next to somebody you don't know, you strike up a conversation. Turned out this gentleman owned a minor league baseball team Mm -hmm. and my dad's and somehow the conversation got started uh not got started conversation got to the point where this gentleman whose name was and still is marvin goldklang um said i'm i we just signed an affiliation they they were an they were an independent minor league baseball team not in an independent league back then some teams minor league teams in the affiliated minor leagues Uh were independent teams and had a stock their own players they didn't get the mavericks in portland famously were part of the yeah that's that's the 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 most famous example of such a team so you you understand that uh clearly and so just for for your viewers and listeners who don't really understand that uh, today, we have independent minor league baseball where you don't have a major league parent club. So you've got to find your own players mm-hmm. and you have affiliated minor league baseball clubs where your roster is stocked by the major league team who drafts these high school and college players. And uh, but back then there were several minor league teams playing in affiliated leagues who were independent teams. The, the Marvin Goldklang's team at the time, the, the um, had they moved yet? Yes, they had. They used to be the, they were originally the Miami Miracle, then they became the Fort Myers Miracle. Mm. And 
they had just signed an affiliation agreement with the Minnesota Twins. And he mentioned this to my dad about how they wanted a new identity that was, um, that felt like it was, they were a, a minor league club. They wanted to, to look and feel like the, the Minnesota Twins. And, or at least have enough similarities that people could see that they were Minnesota Twins affiliate. And my dad said, well, my son's looking to get into sports design. Is it okay if he gives you a call? Marvin said, sure. And um, that was my first uh, minor league, my first, my first sports branding project, period. Um, and that was 30 years ago. Wow. 30 years ago. Yep. And uh, here I am still doing it and, and still doing minor league baseball. Now, as you mentioned, I've done Super Bowl logos i've i've done work i've done hockey teams i've done collegiate uh, uh, athletic program branding i've done horse racing and cycling and <laughs> on and on and on I've, I've worked i've done projects for virtually every sport on the sports landscape but um the majority of my work has always been in minor league baseball and one of the one of the big reasons is because it's fun and i love it i i love all sports branding but Minor league baseball just has this element of fun that really you don't find. There are other minor league sports, but the minor league baseball branding right. is the most fun of it. It's yeah, I totally agree. And I think you make it fun. And one of the big um, things that I noticed about your designs, I like that. I can't necessarily tell it to you design. Like you do a really good job. I think of creating a brand and a look that is very specific to whatever the community you're working for. It doesn't look templated or, or um, sort of reused, like, you know, you can see in other, other situations. So my question is, how do you start? How do you go when Savannah brings you in and says, we want to get crazy with it, but not too crazy. How do you start from that process of understanding the community that the community and the team that you're serving? Well, to a large degree, that comes from the team. Um, I've been doing this for a while now, and I've learned to ask the right questions and do even more listening. And the first thing I want to know from the team is what are they trying to achieve? And as you, and now that's a very broad question, but I ask a lot of more um, focused questions to to get the answer to that question to that larger question and what what i mean is you actually just mentioned with the with the canapolis cannonballers they want to get crazy but not too crazy so some of the questions i asked them led to that because there were some teams that just want to go they they want something as out there as possible <laughs> an example of a team studio simon did that falls into that category is the Burlington sock puppets. Uh, that was okay. a team in the Burlington Royals or what they had been in the Appalachian league. And, you know, they, they had always had their parent clubs name because all the Appalachian league teams were owned by their parent clubs. So as opposed to most minor league teams, which are owned by individual owners and operators. And they, so they'd kind of been saddled with 
straightforward traditional names. They, the Burlington Royals, prior to that, they were the Burlington Indians. And I believe there was even another affiliation somewhere along the road. And now all of a sudden the shackles were off and they wanted to have fun, something they really couldn't have, weren't able to do before. They might've had fun with their, you know, between innings promotions and other things like right. that, but, but not with their branding. And so they wanted to go nuts. And so we got the Burlington Sock Puppets were born. Um, now that wasn't just a goofy name to have uh, for the purpose of goofiness. Uh, Burlington, like many teams in, like many cities in the South um, had a textile mill and the, the main product that was made at that particular textile mill were socks, hosiery. And they were the, known as the hosiery capital of the South. And so they, so that's where the socks come from, the, the, the theme of socks, but we made it a little more fun by naming them the sock puppets. With the Cannonballers, the owner of that team, Andy Sandler, um, was um, a former baseball player himself. I don't think he played professionally, but he definitely played at least through college. And um, as a man of a certain age, he's, if not a complete traditionalist, he at least leans a little more in that direction. So they wanted a fun identity, but they didn't want anything too crazy. So with all the questions that I ask teams, I get an idea of, of what they, what their vision is for their team, what they're looking to achieve. And um, I then give them an, a brand identity that gives them the tools to achieve what their stated goals are. And, you know, I might even, I might even get so specific as to ask them, you know, do you want, if, if, if it's a character driven identity, do you want the character to be cute? Do you want the character to be tough? Do you right. want the character to be a wise guy? And I'll ask enough questions that even if they don't give me a specific answer like, yeah, I want him to have gritted teeth. I'm not expecting them to tell me literally, here's <laughs> how, how we want every facial right. feature to look and here's the exact pose we want it, the, the character to be in. But I, I'm good enough at um, uh, hearing, reading between the lines. And if, if they might not actually be saying it, but they say enough things that I now have a picture of what they are looking for and nine times out of 10, maybe even more like 19 times out of 20, when I do the first round presentation to them, nothing's a surprise to them because I've already asked those questions and heard okay, those yeah. answers. And so they're, they, what they see, even though they were not able to imagine it in their mind's eye, what they see feels like to them that they that's exactly what they were looking for do you how do you handle if you have a client that's maybe not getting it like you've got it laid out and in and everything seems like it's working and they just aren't maybe understanding what you're going for or has it happened well first of all it's yes it has happened uh those instances fortunately have been few and far between but you just said, maybe they're not getting what I'm going for. Well, that's 
never the problem. Mm -hmm. The problem is me not getting what they're going for right. because it's, you know what? There are other designers out there who, who are doing sports branding who have, who might have an approach that's more about, okay, here's what we do and we're going to deliver what we do for you. And not that you, you, and you better like it, but more so that maybe those people are coming to them because they've seen what they have done and they might have a particular style and they like that style and they, they want what, what that designer or design firm is going to give them. In my case, even though there might be a common thread between the artwork that I do from, from one identity to the other, I'd like to think that that common thread is the quality of the artwork rather than the exact look and feel like all my stuff looks the same because it doesn't yeah. and it intentionally doesn't. Right. So, and, I think, and I think that's the strength of, of it for, for sure. Right. Um, I, 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 I won't name the client, but I had a, a, an instance. This is about five yeah, about five years ago, where I was having the discussions like I have with every team with the team president and the team GM. And I immediately got the sense that the team GM didn't want to be have that conversation. Um, I, I, I couldn't understand it at first because it's like, I'm trying to find out all about you, all about your team, all about your community, all about your fans. And every other client I talk to, they they love talking about that because it's what they do. It's what they they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. You're not working in minor league baseball unless you're you're passionate about minor league baseball. You're you're not getting rich doing <laughs> it. Uh, team owners might be because there's value in the franchises, but your the salaries for minor league baseball front office staff is it nobody's getting rich. Hopefully some of them are making decent livings, but they're certainly not uh, laughing all the way to the bank. And so I'm, I'm talking with this guy and I just, it, it, he actually just wanted to get off the call and, and I, I couldn't understand it. And what it, what it turned out was um, nobody there in the front office, what, I shouldn't say nobody was on the same page, but there were different factions that were not on the same page and nobody knew what they wanted. And we went through a number of rounds mm. and they never saw what they wanted to see. Now, by the way, there is a clause in my work agreements with teams that says you get, and I don't want to pull back the curtain too far, so I won't give the actual number. Sure, absolutely. A certain number of rounds of revisions. Um, it's certainly not endless because if it's endless, they're going to keep asking for change after sure, change, yeah. change because it's not costing them anything. And we got to the point where we had already exceeded that. But I try to be, I try not to invoke that clause because you never want to be the, 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 um, uh, can I? I hope this isn't a major curse word. I I don't want to be a hard ass. Okay. No, you you are allowed to do what you need to do. <laughs> okay. I just didn't know if uh, you need to beep bleep these things out or whatever. And it's not that it was that that bad of a uh, of a word. But anyway, uh, you don't want to be that guy. And you, you want 
one reason for that is because you then get a reputation of, yeah. of being hard to work with and that's not good for business. So I try not to invoke that clause, but we got to the point where we had exceeded it by a couple of rounds. And I finally said to them, um, I said, I'll keep going, but another clause in those work agreements say you now need to pay, we, we have to negotiate an additional fee if you want to keep seeing more and more stuff. And in that case, they, fortunately, what they did is they pulled the plug on the project. I okay. didn't, I didn't fire the, 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 the client. They actually said to me, look, we don't know, we don't know what we want. And I had showed them so much stuff and so much <laughs> good stuff. And they just said, I I don't think we're ready to actually move forward with anything. And now sometimes you might hear that and then you see another designer finishes the job for them. That wasn't the case with this. They still have the identity that they were looking to change five years ago. So oh, wow. that that does happen. But again, fortunately, it, it, it's, a, it's a rare occurrence. Again, because... Most people in the minor league industry are happy to answer all the questions and I know which ones to ask and I know how to be a good listener and it just doesn't happen because, because I've listened, frankly. Okay. I have two more questions. Um, one, when you're designing an identity, like, do you have to keep in mind everything like it, what it's going to look like on every kind of hat shirt you're going to design the mascot does all of that have to play into your role or, or, or into your your process or do you come up with sort of the main piece of the um of the design and spin it off from there well it starts with in a first round presentation now other designers might do it differently but at least the way i do it is i will present usually a logo and by the way i will pre I'll, I'll usually present when i say a logo i'll present several different directions from which they can choose but uh -huh. just one logo for each so if i've got several different directions several different looks it's not like um i'm doing a primary logo several cap logos, secondary logos, all the uniforms for each of those different directions because right. that's a tremendous amount of work. Uh -huh. So I'll do one or two logos for a particular look for, from which they choose. Once that direction, once they have chosen a direction, then I flesh out the, the what, what is frankly a very um, wide-ranging brand identity. You know, I'll, I, I have the style guides I present to... Uh, I deliver to the clients are anywhere from 15 to 20 plus pages. Oh. So there, there's a lot that goes into a brand identity. Um, but your point or to the point of your question where, you know, you talk about a mascot and you talk about multiple logos, those different directions that I'm presenting, even though they're not yet fully fleshed out, they are directions that, I know are flesh out a ball. If that's oh, not yeah. actually a phrase, I will never, I'm not going to design myself into a corner where I'll present <laughs> something and then they choose a particular direction. And then I think, oh, wow, I have no idea what else I'm going to do with this. 
Um, I'm, I know what I'm going to do with each of those directions. It's got to have legs, in other words. And uh, so I'm presenting them something that I know I'm going to be able to flesh out. Last question. Like I told you before, I was in, I'm in the film business as well. The cutting room floor is the famous place where things go that maybe don't get to get seen. Are there, are there, how many designs do you have out there that you loved that maybe just didn't get picked up by the team? Yeah, that, that I, I love that you asked that question because the, 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 Oh, what might've, what, what could have been, um, I, I have had some, some things that it's a real, real shame. I did not ever see the light of day. Now I'd like to believe that when, I, I present something to a client when I present them multiple directions for their consideration. Um, each one is as good as the next. Uh, but the reality is sometimes you just do something that it's, that's, it's just better because it's think about how many great Tom Hanks movies <laughs> there, there have yeah. been, but some of them haven't been so great. So even the best in the business has things that are better than than others. And um, well, that the particular team I was mentioning where they decided to to kill the project, uh, there's something really good on the cutting room floor. From uh, actually several things that are really good that that ended up um, never seeing the light of day. In that, um, there's other things that. Uh, I guess the, the short answer to your question is there are tons of that, that, and some of them I keep in my hip pocket because you never know. They might, they might, something might come up where I can reuse that. It, it's actually happened a couple of times. So they, they do get to, to, to live. Um, but here's an example and talk about um, Paul Caputo. Paul was doing an episode of the Baseball by Design podcast on which I was a guest with the Erie Seawolves. Mm -hmm. And he brought up something that I did share from the cutting room floor. I don't normally share those because you never know. I might, like I said, I might be able to use them again. But when he was doing his story on sportslogos.net about their identity, the, the story behind the nickname series, I shared with him a direction that was not chosen that was presented when I was doing the SeaWorld's brand update, which featured a, a um, wolf skull with two cross bats oh, okay. beneath them. And the, the decision at the time was uh, the, the, the team president, who was my client, Greg Coleman, said, you know, I really love this, but um, um, it's not as we want something that appeals to all fans. This will appeal to some fans, but it has a more limited um, audience than something a little more family friendly. And I agreed completely with that. I, I And I felt that way even when I developed it, but I just wanted him to see what the possibilities were at that time. Fast forward several years uh, and Greg came to me I've continued to do work for them. Matter of fact, I'm currently working on a new project for them that will be on field for the 2024 season. And he wanted to do he wanted to do an alternate identity. And he had this idea about um, 
he was thinking of a of a wolf skeleton, but like the full body of a wolf. Uh-huh. And I said, you know what? We've already got something that's sort of in that vein. And I reminded him of the wolf skull direction that I did. And I said, I've got a, a, an idea for what we can do with this. And I mocked that up. I made some changes to it. I mocked that up and I showed it to him and he said, bingo. And that is, that's already been unveiled for the 2023 season. Um, and we call it the the howling dead, um, where it still has the wolf skull in it. Um, and it, there's a cool new cap that it's featured on and, uh, and a new alternate jersey. So that did, it, what made it from the cutting room floor to ultimately the field. So th- they, it, that one literally and figuratively <laughs> rose from the dead. I, I love that. That's a great place to stop. But before, before I do that though, you know, for every Saving Private Ryan, there's a man with one red shoe. And that's that's Tom Hanks' <laughs> career right there. He is Dan Simon. He is one of the guys that's keeping minor league baseball alive. Thank you so much for being on Let's Get Two. James, thank you so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Ladies and gentlemen, please adjust your scorecards. We have a special guest in the lineup. We've seen them all running around the park, taking selfies, playing games between innings, doing impressions of A Star is Born, doing gymnastics, fighting stormtroopers, pretty much everything and anything, and they're doing it in July, in the heat, in the humidity. Mascots are the front porch of a minor league team, and they are often the first thing you see, the first thing you experience. But who are these people beneath the fur and the foam? On the condition of anonymity, we speak to one about the art of mascotting. Their identity has been hidden for their safety and for the protection and the integrity of the character. This is starting to feel like Dateline, but, you know, baseball style. And as we continue on this episode of Let's Get To, we're going to go not behind the curtain, but maybe behind the foam and the fake hair. We're going to talk to a mascot. Now, to keep the illusion, we're not going to reveal who this mascot is or what team they're for. All we will say is that they are from one of the 140-ish, I guess, affiliated minor league teams. So how are you doing this evening? Doing well. Did you like the uh, nefarious sort of under the 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 cloak and dagger approach we're taking to the episode? Uh, yes, it is perfect. I'm all here for it. So my, my um, minor league baseball mascots in particular are incredibly important. They are the, in many ways for kids especially, the first interaction with a minor league team. At what point did you decide that's a thing you wanted to do? Oh man, so I, it's it's going to be hard to reveal my origins with mascotting because I think if I do, a lot of people are going to automatically know I'm connected in the mascot community more ways than one. Okay, but basically, uh, I went to an event in my state, got to see how actual real sports mascots are compared to, you know, the corporate guys like Chuck E. Cheese. These guys are doing flips and they're athletic and they're incredibly comedic. So that kind of inspired me for many years before I got this opportunity. Uh, I've been a few minor league baseball mascots in my state. So it's just been watching them on YouTube for too many hours for too many years and just getting inspired, basically. 
when you were a kid, was there any moment that you were like at a, like at a ball game and you thought, oh, that's really cool? Um, is is that kind of how it started for you? Basically, yeah. Like the main event I first went to that had a, a bunch of mascots there. That's what basically got me into it. And then just going to games afterwards, going to games out of state. YouTube, of course, has been <laughs> my biggest learning yeah. tool for all this. Well, I'm obviously I'm wearing my Astros uh, sweatshirt. I'm a big Orbit fan. I think he's one of the uh, one of the best to do it. Who on the major league level do you think, from a mascot perspective, is doing it right? Oh man, uh, there, there's a lot out there. I mean, Benny the Bull is so clearly obvious just because he has this personality that sets him apart very well. Uh, let me think. Who else? Uh, Stuff the Magic Dragon. In Orlando, he's one of the best as well with all these crazy stunts he's doing. Mm -hmm. uh, I admire him mainly because of the fact that he's doing a lot of original stuff you don't see others do. Like, he'll do a ladder flip like someone else has done, but he'll do other things with it. That's that's kind of what I prefer to do with my own work. I like taking stuff, but adding something new onto it, it's just like, it, it's just so cool that it, it sticks out to our group of performers, but also sticks out to the public as well, and maybe the few that have seen mascot stuff online just so it's not you did a ladder flip that's what this mascot did but no you're doing something different <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's cool to stick out that way no i, I love that and you know i was thinking about it too like you know the rumor has it is that the guy who plays orbit is a trained clown like there's it seems like this is the kind of thing you can come at from a bunch of different ways and be successful for sure i mean a lot of people have marketing degrees acting degrees I have an advertising one. Well, there's many other majors too. I've seen a lot of theater. Sometimes these guys don't have a degree and they get in anyway. It, it is a lot of business and marketing involved, especially in like the pro leagues, like full-time office hours and everything. Yeah. So besides performing, it is a lot of business, which is very cool to know. It's very, it's, it's nice that it's more things than just funny guy in suit. <laughs> there's a whole business practice to it. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, funny guy in suit. That that's I think um, unfortunately what most people think. You know, it, it's interesting. We're going through great lengths to not hide your identity. How important is it to be that immersive to make sure that the 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 mascot is the mascot and the person is the person and never the two shall meet? I, I mean, I think it varies per performer. You have people who are the most secretive mascots ever, who don't want to be revealed by anybody. They deny all friend requests or LinkedIn requests and stuff like that, even the people in the community. And then you have the performers who, like Casey Wolf, he does school shows where he takes off his head and his costume and he shares his story. So everyone knows who he is, and it doesn't bother them. Like, for me, I like being secret just to fully put myself out there. Uh, it always is awkward having people who know who I am, and I'm just like, is this going to be weird for them, I guess? Like, <laughs> There's that as well. Like, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm good with some people knowing. I'm good with some people not knowing, for sure. I think for the character itself, uh, the one I am has kind of built himself up in the past few years. So I, I like having him as himself, mainly. Yeah, it's it's almost like how Iron Man, you know, took his helmet off, but maybe Batman doesn't. So there you go. Exactly. There you um, go. I, I do. I just had this image of, like, you know, you being in a serious relationship and it's not a time to tell that person, by the way, this is what I do. And then pulling out the suit. I got to imagine that would be a pretty hilarious moment. Um, I've seen you in person. I've seen a bunch of mascots in person. The thing that I'm always impressed by is particularly because it's a baseball show. So it's the middle of the summer. The, the question everybody wants to know is how do you keep cool? 
so the real reason is uh we don't <laughs> so it's just <laughs> mostly hydration before and after is the big key a lot of it just comes down to us being used to it i'm that type of performer where the heat doesn't really bother me unless it's a giant like 100 degree day where i can feel it but other than that if it's just like a normal nighttime game i can last for hours if needed but it's mainly my legs getting tired and just breaking for my sanity especially if i'm about to do like a dance skit or something big i I take breaks just to help but there's been many times where i'm at an appearance that has like you know like we used to have all-star games in this league or bigger appearances at other leagues games and there's like five thousand people compared to the typical thousand i'll perform to and that alone gives me this energy and adrenaline and like i'll just be out there for hours (laughs) i'll try to see as many people as i can because it's like this is what I like doing. I want to see everyone. I want to show everyone what this character can do. And I mean, that's been a big thing for building up this character as well. These outside appearances at other games that kind of give him his own mini fandom, if you will. Yeah. So it's definitely a matter of if you're used to the heat or not. Like I know some people have for parades, mostly they'll do those camelback, like ice pouches that can get heavy and it can also melt. So I don't really do that. <laughs> a lot of people have fans in their heads, which, the pros will admit that it's it's not worth it. Usually they're already broken or they just blow oh, hot yeah. air or there's been horror stories of female performers getting their hair stuck in the fans. So uh, I don't like it when they put fans in. It, sh- it doesn't do anything. You just have to get used to it. Or at least a suit that has decent ventilation holes or breathability, basically. That's that's terrifying um there there is a there's a horror comedy in there somewhere um if i put my filmmaker hat back on but i can see that that's terrifying um what is i know we don't have much time left but you know what is for you the the best moments for you is it meeting a little kid is it doing a stunt and having the audience react um where do you feel like this is the best part of my gig Man, like there's just so many of it, you know, like there, especially because some of these teams in this league, like mine, are decently small. So there are some days where it gets stressful. I want to do more, and there's some limitations. But as soon as I put the suit on, I'm like, I love this. This is what I like doing in my life. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's definitely moments like with kids, we're just interacting with a group of people, or especially the moments of you were with like a bunch of college kids and you don't know how they're going to react. But once you show that you're very relatable with the humor you have you win everyone over like that's a good feeling uh crowd work is a big one like it's it's such a weird thing to say and think about but if i can feel like i'm benny the bull for a few minutes in suit just having like everyone react to what you do it's the best feeling it's just really nice being able to do stuff for all these people especially with skits like many skits for their mascots will work depending on their audience or the theme night like you know we have silver sluggers for different teams like older fans you have family days you have thirsty thursdays with a bunch of older kids so the right skits at the right time always hit different for sure but those skits that actually have giant reactions is like you get that feeling inside <laughs> for sure so it's it's, just, it's many things there's many different things that give me the moment and feeling of this is why i do what i do so it's it's just too many to name at this point you know, with this, as I've been doing the show, getting a selfie with the mascot has always been a big, big, big part of it for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this when I was getting a mask with a, a picture with, um, we'll, we'll rule out a team that you're not, 
uh, in Frisco, Texas with the uh, the Rough Rider. And I was thinking about it because it was 115 degrees. And I thought to myself, Slugger the Sea Dog can do all that stuff because it's only 70 degrees when he's when he's in a baseball. I mean, like he's kind of got... Is it? Right? I didn't even know what the temperature was up there. So dang, 70 would be nice, honestly. Yeah, I'm like, okay, anybody can, can redo... Um, the, the the song from a star is born if it's 70 degrees out there so is there like is there some <laughs> pecking order of like you don't you have it easier than others or do you guys give each other the business a little bit about that stuff yeah i mean the good thing about this community is that everyone's very welcoming and open like there are mascot group chats that are very private just so you can scare uh share ideas and notes i mean for me especially i love doing personal calls with performers in my league or in the big leagues just because it's cool to throw stories back and forth and just to learn about each other so it's ever it's very friendly there's never been like direct competition of like oh you have better resources so you suck or you're doing this and whatever like it's just we're all doing the same thing a lot of us have better resources than other unfortunately i'm kind of in the middle ground right but i think it's just doing what you do with enough passion i think that can get you somewhere so it's just very friendly between everyone it's cool <laughs> learning wow. about just like now i didn't know it was 70 degrees in maine during the summer gosh I wish like, i'm assuming that. it's 70 degrees in maine. I, I just i'm assuming that all right well that does wrap, yeah exactly that does wrap up our time and i just want to thank you again for not only you know being on our show and 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 all this stuff but also what you're going to do for minor league baseball because i think um the mascots particularly in minor league baseball are on the we used to call it the military the tip of the sword but y'all are the tip of the sword for keeping this game growing so thank you for that of course, yeah. I mean, we love doing what we do, so it's it's good to have people like what we do in return, basically. And now, on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So that does wrap up episode one of our fifth season We've got some fun in store for the rest of the year. In the first few weeks, we'll be visiting the Rocket City Trash Pandas. We're going to be out to Corpus Christi for Blue Ghost Weekend. And again, our fifth birthday party at a suite in Omaha, Nebraska. So if you're out there, come by, check us out. And in the coming weeks, we've got some fun interviews with the Columbia Fireflies, the Daytona Tortugas, and an amazing interview with Texas Longhorn National Champion and American League champion Calvin Schiraldi about his new book, The Arena. Again, a packed season, new friends, old friends, new parks, new states, so much going on this year. And so as we get ready for the season, remember some friendly advice. Candlesticks always make a nice gift. Maybe you could always find out where she's registered and let's get to. Let's Get To is presented by Twitchy Dolphin Media. Creative directors, Jessica Bybee Jedgetts. Executive Producers, James Christopher, Andy Tumchesson, and Scott McIntyre. Produced by Andrew Nelson and Eric Mertens. Associate Producers, Timothy Jedgetts and Jess Canaster. All content created by Let's Get To is the sole property of Twitchy Dolphin Media. All content created by teams covered in the episode are the sole property of the trademark holders. 